different for me. Um, I've taken this, uh, had a slot over the, over the years since I've been away, been asked to report back on what I've been doing in South Africa, and usually it comes together with a PowerPoint so people can look up there instead of at me. Um, so, sorry, no PowerPoint today, so I've got to cope with the fact that I've got people looking at me instead. <coughs> so when um, Nathan asked me earlier in the year um, about doing something a bit different this time, he said he'd like... Uh, me to share a bit of my journey about how I came to be in, in Clarence in South Africa. So it was an interesting um, exercise to try and think back along my journey about the way that I'd come and where, where did it start. I wondered if I might start with uh, talking about the fact that I'd become International Secretary of my Christian Union when I was away at Teacher Training College. Um, but then I thought, well, even in that, how come I made that particular choice to take up that position. It was funny as well at that time to kind of realise that my older brother, Jonathan, had also been the International Secretary on his CU a couple of years before me at his university. It made me think, yeah, there's obviously steps even up to that point that led me to take up that position. And um, maybe it was Dad's interest in, in the nations that perhaps somewhat unknowingly had kind of rubbed off on us. But also, um, obviously, grew up through... Um, through New Frontiers, um, attending Bible Weeks and Youth Weekends, and I'm sure that also played its part in, in the journey that I took. <clears throat> there was lots of talk around my teenage years of going to the nations, and when I was thinking about what I might say this morning, there was a couple of old songs that came to mind. Um, some of you might remember. There was one that said, The nations are waiting for us. They're dying to hear the song that we sing. And another one said, Let your presence fall in this room. Let, your, let it go forth from here to the nations. And there was another one saying, go forth, take the gospel. Uh, so there was lots of encouragement um, for us to go out and be world changers. That was another of them. Um, so those different things as a, through the growing up years um, sure shaped kind of my, my step to decide to take up that role of, of international secretary. Um, part of that role was to encourage people to go on um, mission overseas, and I'd never done it before myself, so at the end of my, my year of being in that role, I um, decided that I would also take my summer holiday to, to go, go overseas. So at that time, um, New Frontiers didn't have teams going out, so I went with an organisation called Horizons. Can I just yes, please try do. And move this closer to if I can? Thank you. Doesn't. Yeah, okay. Hopefully, it doesn't sing so much. Um, yeah, so I went with an organization called Horizons, and we spent time with a couple who were working in the north of Tanzania. Um, they had contacts in various towns, and we went out with them. We did drama and told s stories and that sort of thing. And then, as the crowd gathered, then someone would share the gospel with people in, in their own language. Um, one of my best memories of that trip was being invited to stay with a Maasai family. They were well off the beaten track um, up in the Rift Valley. We put up our tents um, amongst their mud huts around their cattle kraal, and we were invited to, to share testimony with the family there. The contact was with a lady who had become a Christian, and her husband had put her out of the house, and so she'd gone back to her father's household. Um, and so we spent time with them, and it was just an amazing um, experience to to be able to, to spend time with the people like that. So um, 
About the time I finished teacher training college, I went to something called Clear Vision. Some of you also went there. And um, there was a time of prayer and fasting for young people that was held over the new year. And at one of those times, someone shared a prophetic word with me. They, um, they said that while we'd been singing the song, there's a place where the streets shine. They said that they felt that God was saying that for me, there would be a place where the streets would shine. It might be a place that other people didn't find attractive. Um, I know that Jenny will remember that because she often used to ask me where she... She often used to ask me after that, have, have I found it yet? Have I, am I there? Um, and to be honest, I don't know that Clarence really fits the bill because it's a very beautiful place and, and people choose to go there um, on holidays. But it kept that idea of um, mission in my mind. And a few years later, once I was teaching, um, I decided that I would go away again in the summer holidays. Um, although I'd really loved my time in Africa, I was also open to the possibility of of going somewhere else, so I applied for various different um, organizations. There was a team that was going to Philippines and another one to South America and also to one that was in Africa. Um, each one of those would have held an orientation weekend and the one for Uganda um, actually came up first and while I was there I was expected to say yes or no basically. Um, having met the team leaders and prayed together with them, I felt comfortable with them. I thought well I'm, I'm happy to, to be with these people so I actually ended up going to East Africa again, um, this time to Uganda. The project was quite different to the one that I'd been on in, um, in Tanzania. It's much more practical. The community had decided that they wanted to improve adult literacy, and they saw that a, a way of doing that would be to improve child literacy, and so they were keen to build a library at the local school, and so we went to, to really be a practical help in, in them achieving that goal. So it was an amazing experience again. They, they, um, we went and there was just there was school there, but there was nothing on the plot. They marked out the foundations, the walls went up, the roof went on, it was plastered. We even made posters to put on the wall. Uh, one of the guys on the team was a carpenter. He made the, the um, shelves for the books, and myself and another of the team members were teachers, so we even spent time with the teachers teaching them some of the ways that we um, would go about teaching reading. So it was, again, just an incredible... Um, yeah, time to sort of be part of that. Um, yeah, so as well as the satisfaction of seeing the project completed, it was also just a good time um, to spend working alongside local people and enjoying relationship with them and having fun. Um, so it was, a, it was another very special time. So a couple of years later, um, I was at church. It was probably Runnymede Community Church at that point. There was a note in the newsletter that said that a lady called Chrissy Chapman was looking for teachers to teach, and it just said East Africa. I expect there were reasons why she didn't mention the name of the country. But even if she had, to be honest, I didn't. I had never heard of Burundi. I didn't know all that was going on there. It wasn't a very lovely place at the time. Um, but because it just said East Africa and I'd already been in that part of the world a couple of times, I was quite excited as soon as I saw that. So, oh, I'm a teacher and I've been there and I've enjoyed that you know, part of the, the world. So um, even that day, I, I rang the contact number and um, said that I was interested. I think at that point, I was then asked to speak to Chrissy. At that point, that maybe sounded a little bit more daunting. She had spoken at things like... Um, Stonely Bible Weeks, and I assumed that was going to be a bit of a, a link with um, New Frontiers. In fact, that didn't really turn out to, to be the case, but um, yeah, God obviously had a plan in my being there for, for a time. Um, but anyway, I, 
I didn't do anything about contacting her for a little while. And, um, sorry, it's funny, when you've written it down and then you kind of go off what you're saying and then you have to try and find out where to kind of pick up again. Um, yeah, so I'd put off of um, speaking to Chrissy, And that time I felt God used a dream to speak to me. I don't really remember what the dream was, but I woke up with a real sense of regret. There was something that had happened in the dream that I could have done something about, and I hadn't, and I was, that, it was just a kind of a regretful feeling. And because I'd had that thought in mind about contacting Chrissy, I just felt like if I don't do that, I might regret it. Um, and so even in the middle of the night, I just thought, okay, I'll at least write her a letter and do the next step. And it was funny because the next morning, um, again, another way that God was speaking, I was just reading through Genesis at the time. I got to Genesis 12, picked up the Bible first thing in the morning, and it said, it's the bit where God's speaking to Abraham and he tells him to leave his country and his family and to go. It's like, oh, I'm not quite there yet, but I'll at least write the letter. <laughs> so it was kind of, but yeah, God uses different ways. So, um, that coming after the fact of having had the dream kind of to me was a bit of a confirmation um, obviously if we could read that part another time and it wouldn't have the same significance so um, things kind of working together um, spoke to me at that point that I would get in touch with her and yeah it wasn't too surprising when one thing led to another and I did end up handing in my notice and going to Burundi um, Chrissy only asked for a, a year's commitment she said by a uh, by, uh, um, a year return and see how it goes. So uh, I know Graham Cookman used to pull my leg about a year and see how it goes, and uh, 10 years later, no, and whatever. <laughs> but um, that's how it was, and to me, that was comfortable. Um, I think if she had asked me for a three-year commitment at that point, uh, that would have been a bit daunting, but a year, that wasn't so bad. I'd already been away for short times, and this was just a little step longer. In fact, I ended up staying for three years. Um, Burundi was fairly tough at that point. Um, when we arrived, we could see the displays camps up on the hills, people, it wasn't safe for people to be out in their farms, so they would, get, they would go to those displacement camps at night to be in a safe place. If they um, were late getting back to them, there were chances that they would be considered rebels and they might be shot at, so they, it was for their safety to kind of be gathered together. Um, but it was, you know, we did hear gunfire up in the hills, um, felt fairly safe where we were in our part of the city, as long as we were back by the, end of, by the curfew time, six o'clock clock, our part was quite protected, but the fact that you could hear the gunfire was a reminder that it wasn't um, uh, such a safe place, and we weren't, for the first two years that I was there, we didn't leave the city because it wasn't considered safe enough. There were other NGOs working in Burundi at the time, and obviously their work did involve them going out and about, and so that's what they did in their armour-prated NGO vehicles, but, but for us, our school was in, in the city, and so we kind of just stayed around and about um, that part of the city for, for that time. Um, the school that I worked at was in um, Brujumbura, and yeah, it was a Christian school, much the same as the one that I'm teaching at in, in Clarence now. It just, it, it only opened, um, got its official registration just before I went there, so we were really there at the beginning and establishing the way that things would be done. Um, 
I've obviously formed some, some very close friendships in there. It was quite an intense situation. I, the room that I was in the first year looked out onto my classroom, so I had to make sure that my displays were nice because I'd see them from my bedroom as well. Um, the friends that I had, were my, I talked with them, I lived with them, we went to we the same house group together, so we were very much, we were very together, and um, so some of those friendships were very close, um, and yeah, it was quite a tough situation, so you were sharing things about how you're feeling, and being away from family, and, and those sorts of things, um, yeah, meant those thing, those relationships perhaps became, um, yeah, quite close. At the end of my second year, I began to realise that God was moving quite a number of people on. We were only about a team of about 20, that included teachers and the, the staff who were overseeing the the orphan houses, um, and about 10 of them felt that it was time to move on at the end of the second year. But I didn't feel that God had said that to me, so it was um, quite strange to be so sure that he hadn't spoken to me about moving on, even though I kind of thought, well, why can't I go as well, because they're all going, and you know, I felt like I was going to be on my own, especially when my friend Sarah said that she was going to be going. Um, and it was you know, quite an emotional time, really. I, I cried a lot in that term of knowing that that was coming up, that they were, um, were going to go. Um, someone shared with me um, some words from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I did write it out, but I thought I would look it up for you. And it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And to me at that time, that was just an encouragement that God would bring about the change in my heart. If he wanted me to stay, it wasn't going to continue to be a horrible thing, um, a hard thing. So even though it felt hard at that time, I believe that he did change my heart, and actually it wasn't so bad after all. And in fact, I realized that I was there to support the people who were coming up next to take over the leadership of the school and to set up the, the secondary school. Um, so yes, it, um, she explained it, that he, he changes our hearts to want to and to be able to do his will. And for me at that time, that was really um, helpful. Um, But that, that time only lasted for another year. By the end of the next year, it became clear to me that it was also then my time to, to move on from there. I came back to teach in England, first of all in, in Adelstone. I took up a maternity cover at the school there when Paul was uh, on the governing body there. That kind of opportunity opened up um, so even before I came back to England. So I already had a post to come back to. And then I moved on from there to Stepgates and ended up being there for about five and a half years. <clears throat> oh, I'll take this opportunity to have a little drink of water. <laughs> um, yeah, so although I felt that it was where God wanted to me, me to be, to be back at that point, I began to find teaching more and more difficult. So instead of it getting easier as the years went on, I actually found that I lost confidence and found that it was a struggle to get done all that I needed to do. And I just felt I wasn't really happy in, in what I was doing. I enjoyed being part of Kids Club and the fact that I knew the children at Kids Club because they were children who also came to my school. So I knew that there was kind of something of God in it. And yet, it, it, yeah, I found it 
quite difficult. And to the point when I thought, well, uh, oh, yeah, so um, while I was there, a girl that I was at college with came to visit me. She was about to go over to Dickelbing to teach, and she came to pick my brains about what might be useful for taking with her to teach overseas. Um, and then a year or so later, she contacted me again once she was teaching out in South Africa, saying that the, the principal was always looking for English teachers if I ever wanted to go and teach in Africa again, that there would be a, an opening for me to go and do that. Um, but at that point, I was just such a, such a low ebb with my own feelings about teaching. I thought, if I can't teach in England, why would God want me to go somewhere else to do it? You know, I really felt that it wasn't um, something that I could do anymore. Um, but I responded by saying, if I don't get to teach year two again next year, perhaps I'll take it as a sign that God wants me to move on. And again, it's that timing thing. Within that week, the head teacher called me in, said that the um, maternity cover in, grade, in year two was coming to an end and that teacher wanted to take over, you know, go back to her class that she'd had before. And so I thought, well, okay, um, let me at least contact her and find out some more information about the school. She didn't send me information, she sent me the, um, the application. <laughs> Um, but I decided I would fill it in because I thought that would just help me at least to kind of process my thoughts on where I was at with, with, um, with that. Um, and just started to go down that route. It wasn't quite straightforward. And at one point I was very unsure as whether it was what God wanted me to do. And I was asking for confirmation. I didn't really know what it was right to ask for. It kind of says in the Bible about not asking for a sign. And yet I felt I wanted something to, to know. It felt like a big move. And um, I, I wanted to know whether it was the right thing. At the time I was reading the book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And as I was reading it, I just felt that I had faith to pray that if it was God's will for me to be in South Africa, that I would hear the word come, as, as Peter said to Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come. So I felt, yeah, I could ask for that word come. I could kind of imagine in my head, maybe someone from South Africa would say, you know, why don't you come? I might read it in a book. I might read it in the Bible. I thought I could imagine, you know, maybe I'd see a billboard saying come. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just knew that I had faith that God would would be able to answer that prayer. <laughs> um, but it was funny because I, the pressure was on a little bit. I think that it was probably coming to the time when I had to hand in a notice. And so I actually even said this week. Um, but as the week went on, like nothing had happened, nothing had happened. And I began to realize that actually I would be disappointed if I didn't hear that word. And I kind of realized that actually God had put that desire in my heart to to want to go and I spoke to Andrew Ryland about it and he said actually that's a good way to hear God is in your heart to have that kind of assurance in your heart that uh, of something that God wants you to do so um yeah that was that's I took as being his come in here um and so then I did go through the process of applying for visas that turned out to be a bit of a um a bit problematical, I needed to get police clearance from Burundi. Well, Burundi had been in such a state when I was there, I couldn't imagine that there was paperwork about me um, that they could access and whatever. There was no embassy in London anymore. Um, but I, we did, I did still have a contact over there, so I asked um, the administrator who'd been our administrator, I said, please, would you be able to, would you get something for me? And he was able to procure a letter somehow or other. Um, but it was in French, so then I had to get that translated and it was all a bit of a, um, a, a, a process. But having got 
all that's in place. I thought the, the things this end would, would go smoothly, um, but even that seemed to take much longer than I expected. So there was a Sunday evening prayer meeting for me just before I was due to fly, and it was um, interesting that the first person to, got up, to get up to, to speak, um, to, to, um, it was Jenny Denman, she felt that she had a word from God. And it was interesting because she said something along the lines of, Yolanda, you've talked a lot about going, but I believe the people in South Africa are saying, come. And to me, I was blown away by that. I felt, wow. You know, all those months later, I'd felt it in my heart, but actually God also confirmed that to me. And to me, that was just absolutely amazing. Um, so when the visa didn't come through and people said, oh, you know, do you think it's a sign? Like, no. <laughs> I was so sure. Uh, I didn't understand why there was a delay. Even when I got there, I never did find out why an extra week made the difference. I had to um, delay my flight um, until the visa came through. Um, I ne never did discover why, but I was sure that it was just a delay and it wasn't anything, you know, anything else. So, um, so the principal asked for a two-year commitment. Having been away for three in Burundi, that didn't seem too much to ask. And during my first term at school, I was given a number of different prophetic words, three different words, quite different pictures, but all with the kind of same sense of my time being in South Africa being for a season. Um, obviously, seasons can be long or short, and in God's economy, they can be, you know, I don't know what we think, as being very long. I didn't expect to be there as long as I have been. Um, I thought maybe it would be the two years, the commitment that Margaret had asked for, or possibly three. I'd been awarded a three-year visa. Um, but as the time came to the end of that first visa, I didn't feel that God was saying that it was time for me to move on, so then I applied for another one, and that's happened over the years, and, and in fact, now I've been there for 10 years. Um, although this last year has been in the capacity of a special needs teacher rather than a, a classroom teacher. It's interesting. I don't know. Sometimes God says things and you're not quite sure why. I think my perspective on being in, in South Africa was changed by having those words over me, that thought of it being for a short time. Um, I'd worked quite hard at learning Kurundi in the time that I was living in Burundi. And at the end of three years, I could greet people in the street and I could ask the lady who worked for us um, things that I would like her to get um, shopping-wise. But I couldn't hold a conversation with anyone. And so when I was in South Africa, Africa, that thought of only being there for a short time is like, oh, why do I won't even bother? Because, you know, if you could work three, three years hard at something and not feel like you get far, then it was very easy to just think, oh, there's no point. A lot, most people in, in South Africa, a lot of people speak good English anyway, and so it was very easy to um, not bother. But obviously then as time went on and people said, how long have you been here? And, oh, you must speak good Sutu by now. I was like, um, began to feel embarrassed that I didn't know, didn't know more. Um, so this year it's actually been good to have a bit more time. I'm not class teacher, so I haven't got a whole load of planning and marking and all those things that go with being class teacher. So I've had more time to do things like develop friendships. And so one of the things um, I did was to, to begin to learn a bit of Sutu. A lady offered to teach me and, and it is, it's just been good fun to get to know her and her family. Sometimes I just turn up and they're watching television and I just sit on the sofa and watch television with them and it's just been really nice to have that kind of welcome in their home and that's been something of a breakthrough for me. But it's interesting because, yeah, um, it's just a bit of a, a shift in, in um, yeah, giving time to, to do that. So I don't know why 
why those words came that kind of made me live in a short-term view when in fact it was going to be a lot longer, but I guess we don't always understand these things. Um, but anyway, um, yes, that, that friendship with, with that lady has seemed something of a breakthrough to me. I've had lots of friends out there, but cross-cultural friendships have been just, it seems to be more difficult to, to establish. Um, obviously, with some people, there's a language barrier. They don't speak such good English. I don't speak Sutu. And so then quite quickly, you kind of come to the end of, you know, you can be friendly with people, but that's different to um, sharing your heart or, you know, really sort of feeling like you're um, sharing life at a deeper kind of level. Um, but also, a lot of the people live there, they're, some of them haven't been much further than Clarence, maybe Bethlehem or possibly Joburg, but their, their experience is more limited, and that also then makes it more difficult to find ways to relate. You can be asking, so what are you doing in the holidays? Well, they're staying home, and it almost can feel like bragging to say, oh, I'm going to fly to England and see my family, and maybe I'll go off skiing, or whatever. You, your experience of life can kind of make you um, almost keep to yourself some of those things because it sounds too much to, to share. But occasionally, you know, I, I, try and, I try and take an interest in where people are at um, in their lives and, and occasionally that interest is reciprocated and that makes a good basis for being able to establish friendship. Um, Nathan um, suggested that I might share some of the ways that God has spoken to me along the way, so I've already mentioned a number. Um, I feel that God's spoken in dreams at times, through prophetic words that people have brought, the Bible, and that sense of just knowing in my heart. Um, well, I thought I'd share one more story, which I quite like. It was um, something that happened to, that confirmed that it was right for me to stay out in South Africa for a bit longer. I had been speaking to one of my housemates one day about the fact that I was—I I would know that I was in a place to stay for a bit longer when um, when I had chickens again. <laughs> We'd had chickens when I was growing up, and I'd enjoyed that. And I'd thought, you know, one day when I'm at you know my home, then they would have chickens. Anyway, that very week, I ended up with chickens at the house. She happened to speak to someone who had some, who needed to find another home for them, and she said, oh, I know someone who'd like them. And so they came, and they set it up, they put the fence in, and, and gave me the things that I needed. So without me lifting a finger, I had, uh, had my chickens. But um, it's just, it, was, it was kind of fun for me, um, but just to know that God knows us, and he he treats us each as individuals, so I'm sure many of you wouldn't like to be given chickens, but for me, God spoke to me in that way. And, that was, and it was lovely to know that he, he knows the details of our lives and he's interested and cares for us even in those uh, funny little things. So in closing, I'd like to say that uh, God has been so faithful over the years, guiding my steps in different ways at different times. Um, I think when the moves have been particularly significant, like moving to another country, he's been very gracious in making it very clear. Um, it means that when difficult times come, and obviously being away, there are things that happen that you can... Um, yeah, sometimes life's hard, and it's good to be able to be sure that you're in the place that God wants you to be and to be able to hold on to that at those, at those times, um, to remind yourself that you can be confident that you're in the place that God wants you to be. There. Um. <laughs>